0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us again on Dropping the Gloves. Tim loves my intros. You always give a slight smile, Tim, when I do my, hey, everybody, hello. Well, you, you like it. You're like a little kid. I do. I'm excited to be here, and it's such good, positive energy. It's great. It is. Always positive, always looking forward, trudging ahead in this world. But yeah, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Really appreciate the support. Well, Game four is in the books, Tim. Unless you have other personal stuff you want to talk about, we jump right into it. How was your uh, How was your night? Um,
1: it was good. Yeah, nothing, nothing good personal to talk about. So, what about you? Any Any good things?
0: Well, you know, we were talking before the show, and I, I didn't know when um, I was going to bring this up. I had an eventful morning yesterday. Like something happened to me that I don't think any of our listeners have ever experienced and will ever experience. It was just a rare thing, unless you live in a very remote part of the country. I don't know. So I was coming back from church early morning. It was like five in the morning. I'm driving home focused on the road, not driving fast. And all of a sudden whack. I feel something hit my car. I'm like, what on earth is this? And I'm just, my head's I'm like, why? I just, I, I'm just getting my van fixed. I hit the tree in the winter. That's done from the body shop. I just picked it up yesterday, yesterday night. And I hit this thing yesterday morning. I'm like, what is it? I'm like a raccoon, a possum. There's plenty of animals. I knew it wasn't a deer because I didn't see a deer and you could see their eyes. So I was like, it's not a deer. So I pull over and there's a massive massive dent in the side of my denali i'm like what on earth like and the sad thing is i was just about to sell this car because we're going to upgrade to a nissan nv hopefully which are like skyrocketing price and because we have seven kids now we have nine people we need a bigger vehicle the denali only seats eight so we need an extra seat belt i was like sell that and then upgrade to an nv which are just hard to get so anyways i'm like great i hit something it took me i want to say three months to get a new bumper for the toyota sienna to fix that so i'm like i'm never going to be able to get this thing fixed in order to sell it in order to get a new vehicle it's the worst timing whatsoever so i see the big dent i'm like what did i hit because it wasn't low it wasn't low by the tire i'm like okay so it wasn't a raccoon it wasn't a possum there was no deer carcass i'm like what did i hit like, did I hit a person? Was someone running? I'm like, I don't think so. And as I'm, these thoughts are running through my head. I'm like, what is what is happening? All of a sudden, go ahead, Tim.
1: Wait, is it dark out right now? What's, what's it's the, dark? What's
0: out? Okay. it's five a.m. It's five o five a.m. It's dark, but the sun is slowly starting. You can see it like miles away. The the ray kind of shooting up, but it's still pitch black. Like, I can't see my hand. Like in front of my face, it's very dark. So I have my flashlight on my phone. I'm looking around, and all of a sudden, I hear clippity cloppity, clippity cloppity. A bull is walking across the road, like Ferdinand the bull, like a bullfighter. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? I'm like, I'm like, should I be scared? And then behind the bull are two donkeys. (laughs) And I'm just like, what is going on here? And I'm like, okay. I'm like, did I hit, I must've hit one of them. Like, did I hit some other farm animal, like a sheep or a horse or something? So I start looking for a body, no body. So I must've hit one of these donkeys or this bull and judging from the head height, I think I hit the bull and from where the car is, from where it lines up, I'm like, I think it's the bull. And I was going 45, 50. I wasn't driving slow. The speed limit's 55, but I was, you know, it's there's deer everywhere. So I'm cautious. I've hit a deer Driving to church before at that time, so I, I wasn't like ripping around like a w- wild animal. And so I'm like, "What the heck?" And so I start following these animals. I'm like, what do what do I do? So I followed them for five to ten minutes. I'm like, "What am I doing?" So I start knocking on houses. No one's answering their door because it's five fifteen in the morning. For Pete's sake! And these animals are just walking around, eating grass. They're crossing the street. They're going wherever. We're in people's backyards. We're just in fields. I'm walking like behind these. The bull bluff charges me at one point because he doesn't like me getting too close. So make like, easy, big boy. Like I'm just, and I'm doing this because I know these bulls belong to somebody. These donkeys and this bull belongs to somebody, and I'm still ticked that they hit my car. And I'm like, someone's gonna pay for this damage. And I know if I leave, I'll never find whoever owns these these animals. And I'm, I'm on the hook. I'm on the deductible. My insurance is going up and it's all on me because no one's going to believe me. Oh, you hit a bull. You hit a bull at five in the morning. You hit a bull, John. Really? Were you boozing? Sip it on grandpa's cough syrup a little bit. I'm like, okay. So I took a couple blurry pictures. My stupid iPhone five stinks. So I'm like, this picture stinks. I can barely make it out. And so I took a video. I got the video. I called the police and obviously they're in a ship change. So the dispatcher's like, it's gonna be an hour. I'm like, yeah, I'm following these animals. She's like, sir, get back in your car. The bull sounds aggressive. I'm like, I'm following this stinking animal. I'm not letting this thing out of my sight. So I follow up for another 45 minutes. Luckily, people start to see me walking around with this bull as they're waking up and they're coming out and they're coming out of their house. And we get this little parade going. And so finally the police come, someone knows the owner, the owner comes. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. He comes to get his animals and he knows they're on the loose. He brings like a frayed rope, doesn't bring a trailer, doesn't bring a big truck. He drives a golf cart over with a rope that's probably like 10 feet long. I'm like, how are we supposed to get these animals back to your place? And his, his place is like two miles away. Like, what do we do? What are we doing? So he ropes up this donkey. He's like choking it out. I like, do you even know how to own animals? This is all going through my head, but I'm like, okay, let's, let's go with it. And he, he's the farmer. He has a feed bucket. Animals aren't listening to him whatsoever. They're like gone. Like they don't want to be with him. So he's dragging this donkey and I'm getting the feed bucket for the other donkey. No one wants to go near the bull because he's aggressive. And so the bull is kind of just walking around. And all of a sudden this might not save for work. The bull gets excited in the man sense. And he sees this donkey restrained, and he takes his chance, and he goes for it. No. And so we're in the middle of the street at 615 right now. There's a police car behind us with his lights on. The guy's got the golf cart. He's sitting there pulling the donkey by the rope, and the bull's trying to mount the donkey. And he's very excited for the whole situation. And I'm getting the feed bucket, and the guy starts hitting the bull. Get out! get out of there. get out of there. and so i'm just like do you want me to help a little more so my job for the whole walk was keep this excited bull away from this donkey and so anytime he came over i'm like get out of there. like I'm pushing him i'm like put kitten like him with the the feed bucket I'm like get out of here like ah. and so he tried to mount this bull a dozen times and i'm like pushing a fully excited bull off of a donkey that's getting dragged down the road at 6:15 in the morning. It was insane, it was insane. <laughs> so that was I my have morning so many questions.
1: <laughs> okay. So you walked with this guy back to the farm? I walked that- halfway,
0: mobile, a good three, maybe halfway to three quarters. And then the police officer said, You shouldn't be around him. It's not appropriate. And we need to take your story. And so another officer came and then I had to go and like give her my, my story. And she took pictures of my car, what happened, what time, all this stuff took my license registration. And so I left him and then they went, cause it's, it's a crime. Right. And so like he, it's his personal property. So yeah, that, I, I didn't go all the way back to his farm, but I got his info and all that stuff. So he's on the hook for it. Thankfully.
1: Yeah. Okay. That was my next question. Like, did you have to, did he automatically own up to like, oh, it's my fault. I'm paying for this. Or like, do you have to have a conversation with him?
0: Well, he hasn't yet. I'm going to call him today. So the officer got his information and he's like, yeah, he's on the hook. And if he doesn't you know, want to pay for it, he's like, you need to sue him. You have to go to civil court. And he said, this isn't a criminal thing because it, it's personal property. It's like you hitting his dog. I guess you can't do criminal charges, but it's a civil. I don't know. So if he yeah. doesn't want to pay for it, I have to take him to court, which I don't want to do. I don't have time for that. But um, yeah, I, I, all in all, I went home. My wife's like, "Are you kidding me? Like, what's going on? Like, you just hit the tree with the van. Now you hit a bull." She's like, "Are you drunk out there? What are you doing?" Like, I don't know. I just some a magnet for animals. So, yeah, w- weird. War- weird morning, Tim. Weird morning. <laughs> Last question: Did you have your seatbelt on? Yeah, of course. I always put my seatbelt on. Always nice. Like, and because I, I have kids, and I harp on them because I'll be like driving on the road we've already been driving for 10 minutes I'm like who's got their seatbelt on half of my kids are like man i don't and so i always put it on yes wear your seatbelt kits but yes so that was my morning i hit a donkey i, I took the video i sent it to you tim i, I, I didn't let you look at it yet because i wanted you to get a fresh perspective on this so we'll post it to our show feed i'm not blowing smoke everybody i talk to now like, hey, you're you're full of it because i like to have you know tease people have a good time they're full of it. I'm like watch the video man Watch the video. So I, now I got to get the Denali fixed, and it's a whole thing. And it's just anybody, if anybody has a Nissan NV350 SL, let me know. I'm in the market. I want to buy one of those. I need some, I need a car with a lot of seats and I need something that has a little, you know, oomph to them. Cause I have a driveway. That's not great. I need something all wheel drive. Maybe, you know, just some heavy Nissan's heavy. You know, what else is heavy game four, Tim game four was heavy. There was a lot of hits being thrown. There was a lot of animosity. It was a fast paced game. It was a great game. I watched it, you watched it, everybody watched it. Let's get past the Bulls, past the Donkeys, past all that stuff. Let's jump into game four, a crucial game four. The home team had not let, lost as of yet. Coming in, Tampa needed to win this game. You know what I hate? And I, I hate to strong where you know what I don't like? They got PK Subban doing ESPN stuff right now. They got Messier, they got Chalios, all these talking heads. They say the most obvious things in the world. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, like it's useless. Oh, it's a must win game for Tampa Bay. Oh, oh, thanks. Thanks for that in-depth analysis, PK. Oh, Vasilevsky needs to play good. Oh, okay. Oh, good. Okay. I didn't know that. Let me write this down. I didn't know that. You're so wise. So wise just amazing but anyways and it it, maybe it's just me being butthurt because i wish i was in his position but it's just like all of these guys messier had a couple good points last night i'll give him this but chelios is just we gotta get the puck through i'm like no no crap they're blocking a lot of shots Chelly. like let's let's pick up our game a little bit but anyways all that aside game four game four was crucial Bay doesn't win this game they have no chance of winning the stanley cup they start out on fire, and here's all right. What was your what was your take on the first period? Because I think I have a contrary take to, to everybody. What did you think of the first period for Tampa Bay? They they come out, they're leading two to one after the period. They get the first goal from Sorelli. Nick Paul gets a turnover. Mm-hmm. The Abs get a somewhat of a gift, you know, a goal off McKinnon's skate. Tampa Bay answers right back. Or did, was it one one after one? Or was it two one? I can't remember.
1: I think it was two one.
0: I think um, I believe it was two to one. And they were out shooting like 17 to 4. It was a complete domination stat wise by Tampa Bay. What was your take on the first period as a whole, Tim? After after Sorelli's goal, after McKinnon's goal, after who got the second goal for Tampa Bay? Am I drawing a blank here? Am I drunk? What's going Hedman, on?
1: Edmund, that little backhand. But actually uh,
0: that was in the second period. Yeah. So it was yeah, one it was one after one. Nothing one. After, one. after one nothing. One nothing. One nothing. Correct. What was your take after the first period? Sorry, we're butchering. It's, My head's all over Bull. Donkey issues. All right. Give give us, yeah. your, I want to know your take on the first period. So it's one nothing Colorado or Tampa Bay after the first. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, it seemed like Tampa dominated. You look at the shots. I don't have it in front of me, but like, I don't think Colorado had had been held to that few shots in a single period the entire season. It was like six or seven or something. It was really small and Tampa had like 14. Like it was a lot. Um, so yeah, a team like Tampa dominated and I don't blame um what's his name, Kemper, for that goal, the Sorelli goal. And actually, I was watching. I was watching at the bar last night, and I was like, oh, they're going to call Damn. it back. It's a kid's show. I said, I said they're going to call it back. Just like watching, and I'm like, oh, the goalie's head came off. And as soon as that comes off and someone scores, often they call it back. That was my initial reaction. Then you watch the replay in slow-mo, and not only did his, head po- his helmet pop off, but it was Sorelli's stick who kind of like hit it, and that's the reason that it looked like that it popped off. And they didn't even review it. The Avalanche guys didn't really complain. McKinnon complained like instinctively right, to, right the second they scored, but he didn't push it. Bednar didn't challenge anything. I thought that was a little strange. Maybe I just, I don't know. I, I, I was surprised that that wasn't at least a bigger discussion. It seemed like, and and we watched, uh, you know, you watched the analyst talk about it after the game and said, you know, as soon as, as as, as long as there's like an imminent scoring chance the play continues. And obviously there was an imminent scoring chance. He scored like half a second later, the puck was right in the slot and he buried it. But I thought that was a little, a little funny, but overall, um, yeah, it seemed like the lightning dominated that period.
0: Yeah. See, that's right. Watching the game. I didn't get that same feeling. I, I, Tampa did look good. They looked better. They, they switched their game plan from the first two games. Their first two games, I felt like they were trying to be too cute. They were trying to just score the perfect goal. They were trying to just to be too pretty. And I feel like the last two games, they have made a concerted effort to just shoot everything, get stuff to the paint, break down the defense, make it difficult on Colorado's back end. Because the first two games, I, I thought they made it easy on them. They were trying to do cross-crease passes. They were trying to do cross-ice passes. They were just trying to do too much. They were all trying to be Nikita Kutrov, and they're not Nikita Kutrov. So they have definitely changed up their game. But in the first, it, it felt to me that Colorado dominated the play. They carried the play. When I looked at the zone time stats after the first period, Colorado almost tripled Tampa Bay in offensive zone time. And it just felt to me that Tampa Bay was almost just hanging on. Yes, they had the 17, 16 shots. Yes, they, the shot disparity was there. But every other advanced metric, and you know I'm a big metric stats guy. And I just live and die on that stuff. <laughs> no. But just the eye test. Colorado drove the play. Whenever they got the puck, they looked like they were the, the aggressor, and Tampa Bay was just kind of holding on. It was like a sinking ship, and the water was slowly starting to rise, and they were bailing it out as fast as they could. And they were just getting by. They get that one goal from Sorelli, which was just a terrible goal, in my opinion. Kemper, yes, it's a good shot. You gotta you gotta save that. I don't know. It it was not a good start. It hit him in the face, you know. Yeah,
1: but it was like it was an onslaught of shots. I think maybe if it was terrible, it's 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 on the Avs players. But like he saved four shots in 10 seconds, and then the last one went in.
0: You know, and it went off his face and his helmet popped off. I don't blame him at all for that. Yeah, I, I blame his helmet, maybe. Maybe, maybe terrible's too strong. But I think if he was two inches taller, it doesn't happen. Or if he's two Just inches shorter, taller, it doesn't happen. What's wrong with you? Just be taller. What's that? Be taller that or shorter. But anyways, that that aside, after that goal, I, I in the 20 minutes I felt Colorado was a better team. And the people I was watching it with, they were they were Tampa fans, like, oh Tampa's gonna they're gonna destroy Colorado, it's gonna be a route. And I even said this in game three. I'm like, it just feels like Colorado's going to come back. They're the better team. Colorado is a better team in this series. And they will figure out Vasilevsky. The reason this game was so close was Vasilevsky was outstanding. He played great. He was all over the ice. Not even all over the ice. He's positionally well. He, he didn't give him much to look at. And when they did get a chance, he was there. He made it look easy. The first two games, he wasn't himself. He is, if they do have a chance to come back, which is very minute, very minute, it's very rare you see a team come back from three to one in the Stanley Cup finals. It's because of him with the injuries, and we'll get to that. But after the first, yes, Tampa was in the lead, but I just felt like Colorado was going to come back. And then the second period starts, and they get that power play goal. Nathan McKinnon, easy goal off a of skate, not an easy goal, fluke goal. And this is the funny thing about hockey very interesting. The sixty minutes they played, Colorado, Tampa Bay, last night. Who was the better? <clears throat> who was the better team? Uh, Tampa. So you think Tampa was better in the sixty minute in the regular season or the the first regulation three years in overtime?
1: Yeah. Are you crazy? Not, not not overtime. Not overtime. You
0: it, said sixty it, minutes. You think they were the better team first, second, and third? Tampa Bay. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. We should not have a hockey podcast. Colorado was the dominant <laughs> team. From the second, third, and overtime, I felt like Colorado carried the whole play. Tampa Bay had little spurts of like, okay, here's a dangerous play. It's a rush. Show we had a rush. Kucherov, the face-off of the third period, he hits the crossbar. Oh, we got a rush there. It was a very dangerous play. All in all, Colorado was a vastly better team. I think they had the better scoring chances. Their zone time was incredible. Their power play was insanely dangerous. They were all over Tampa Bay, all over Tampa Bay. And it wasn't even close. I think from this, the drop of the puck in the second period, it was just a clinic from Colorado. Just out working, out playing, out hitting, out efforting Tampa Bay in every facet of the game, with the exception of Victor Hedman. I thought Victor Hedman played incredible, best game of the playoffs I've seen him play. I talked about it in the games one and two, him and Ryan McDonough looked. They looked off. They didn't look good. They weren't being aggressive. They were getting beat in the defensive zone. Their passes were off. Something was wrong. Game four, Victor Hedman maybe the best player on the ice. He was incredible. Him and Vasilevsky were the only two guys for Tampa Bay that really stood out to me that were like, whoa. And I, I will say this, Steven Stamkos, blocking shots. The guy's, the oh, guy's yeah, an absolute yeah. beast. It was insane. And I know people are talking about this, the, the block shots, this and that. Blocking shots is very hard to do. First of all, you have to get in the lane, which it's hard these days, especially when you're going up against Kale Makara, Devin Taves, these types of defensemen who they, they make a living out of getting shots through. That's their job. So even getting in a lane is difficult, one. Two, willing yourself mentally to get into a lane to know that you're going to take this one in the skate, to know that there's a chance you might take this one in the teeth, to know that this shot could take you out of the playoffs. Eric Turnack blocks a shot didn't step on the guy. comes back, sits on the bench, out the game. That mentality to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to dive in front of the shot. I'm going to do whatever it takes. That's hard to have. And for an elite goal scorer to have that, that's incredible. Landis has it. McKinnon does not. Kucherov does not. Stamkos does. These are two really good captains. But all that aside, I'll give Tampa Bay 10 minutes in the first period. Fifty minutes plus overtime, 62 minutes. I think Colorado dominated this game, don't you? And now, getting back to my point, the interesting thing about that, I'm just going on and on, Tim. My head's spinning, thinking about bulls, trying to mount donkeys. It's insane. Colorado dominates the whole game, in my eyes. My nine-year NHL career, two and a half years in the AHL, analyzing everything, they're just throwing stats out here. No big deal, Tim. Colorado did not get a goal in the 60-minute first, second, third that someone shot and off their stick. McKinnon goes off his skate. Cogliano goes off his pad. And they were the dominant team in the first, second, and third. It's just funny how hockey works that way. They should have lost that game in Colorado. Vasilevsky played that good. They got a couple lucky bounces, and they find themselves in overtime, and they go to overtime, and they completely dominate in overtime. But there's, if it's all fair, it's like they should have never been in that position because they just get two lucky bounces. But I guess you create your own luck when you're always on them, you're always pressuring, you're always shooting, you're always just putting them on their heels, and you're on your toes, and you create bounces that way. But it is funny to think about how Tampa was just over their head the whole game. They scored two goals. Headman goal. We'll we'll touch on that in a second. But I just think though those things are interesting to me, where they don't get a goal off their stick in 60 minutes of play, even though they're like firing everything on net, I don't know how many shots Tampa blocked. They blocked 34 shots. 34 shots Tampa blocked. Avalanche got 37 on net. How many shots missed the net? They must have threw over 100 110 shots on net, which is incredible in a 72 minute game, which it was. So anyways, back to back to just regular hockey podcast after my little soliloquy there. So we go into overtime. Well, we'll jump ahead. or let's You know what? Let, let's back up. Well, What do you think of Hedman's goal? So it's one-to-one. McKinnon ties it up. Hedman just says, I've had enough of it. What do you think of that goal, Tim? Well, how many cups of coffee have you had today? I was going to ask that. Don't worry about that. My <laughs> boss isn't here today. And so usually we split the pot. And so I'm just drinking it all today. And so I'm going yes. for it. You know what? I didn't get a lot of sleep last night because I was up late watching the game. I had to get up early. I serve mass at a monastery here. <laughs> Just You know, I'm only one person, Tim. I need, I need a coffee every once in a while, maybe a pot, maybe a pot. But anyway, so let's, you love yourself some kale McCart. Were you envious when you saw Victor Hedman cutting through the ice like that scoring a goal? You should, that should have been kale. Um, I love Victor Hedman too. Um, that
1: goal, man, that was an ugly goal by Kemper. And even like, you, you know, you watch the difference between like, this is a good, good skater, good defenseman, kind of zipping through the, the creating a little space for himself, zipping through the offensive zone, but not the same way that McCarr does. McCarr like slices through guys as if they weren't there. He's just kind of like skating just enough reach of the size to like get around what duty needs to do. And he throws a backhand on that just to get a shot on that, probably hoping to get like a face off or something. And it just, Backside Kemper never touches it. with a really strange goal that I thought. Okay, my moment, my reaction to that moment was like, okay, Abs are going to lose this game, and it's going to be on Kemper. He's going to land in probably another goal that he should save, that Vasilevsky would save, and and this is going to be their downfall. But didn't turn out to be true.
0: Yeah, Hedman and Makar are definitely elite defensemen. But why we talked about this? I think before the series that it's so interesting. Two Norris contenders can be so different. Edmund, six 6'7", physical, decent offensive game. Camel Carr, I think he's like 6'1", but just dynamic. When he gets the puck, it's just like six, 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 six. he moves it so fast. He's so confident. He's spinning back. He's ripping through defenses. He's so incredibly dynamic. But Hedman uses his strengths. He's a big dude. He gets the puck in his own zone. He's like, All right, no one's going to take me. Try to get the puck off of me. My wingspan's like a condor. You better be able to get into my my hip, and if you can't, I'm going to go around you. You're not going to be able to keep up with me, and when I have this speed and I'm this strong. And he goes around every Colorado player, and it was a de- it was a decent shot for a backhand goaltender. Hard to read where it's going because you can't read the blade of the stick. It's just like okay, you have to react. He was far enough out. Kemper had a bad angle, obviously, and it just goes over his pad. Mark Messi probably loved it. That moose. Mark Messi made a living on that shot in his career mind you he was on his forehand which makes it a little bit easier to shoot but it was a well-placed shot Kemper should have had it but it was a good play by Victor Hebbin. it was an elite play by an elite defenseman at a very opportune time he scored Zach goal i like yeah I, I had the same thought process I'm like Tampa's gonna get another one and away we go and Tampa had a chance they had a power play they didn't capitalize are you surprised by how inept Tampa-based power play is in this series. They have one goal. I think they've had 14 chances, 15 chances. When they lose, which inevitably they inevitably they will, is that the reason? Because you look on the other side, Colorado is clipping along at 50%. I think they have six or seven power play goals in this series already. We've only played four games. It's been the difference in the two one-goal games. The first game they had a power play goal was a difference. This game they had a power play goal, that was a difference. Can you pinpoint that as Tampa Bay's downfall? This the complete disappearance of their power play because you think of a team that has Stamkos, Kalorn, Kucherov, Hedman up top, all these other Sigachev, they have elite players who can make plays. Why can't they score? Is this the reason why they're going to lose this Stanley Cup final? Well,
1: it's one of them, and I'm going to give a lot of credit to Colorado's penalty killers. They're they're just so good. They're actually like it. It, it reminds me of times of like Bergeron and Marchand where they're like you think that they're even strength, the way they're still not only bl- you know killing the penalty but creating offense from it. But there's little like chips out the zone. One guy's taken off, and then there's a he'll flip it into into neutral space, and maybe it's a 50 50 shot, but you're you're killing time, you're creating offense, you're getting a, a shot or two on net. If you're in the power play, I'm guessing one of the rules that coaches tell you like you never want to have a penalty. Penalty, face off in your own zone when you're on the power play, right? Like that's one of those no nos, and it happens all the time with in this series because Colorado's penalty killers are so good. The Darren Helm's of the world, Kovalev, Comfer is creating a lot of opportunities, and obviously the defensemen are just are just you know locked down too. So I think I think uh, Tampa Bay will come through and they'll score one or two power play goals in the rest of the series, but might be too little too late at this point.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I really don't see it. They only had two opportunities last night. They didn't score. And a big turning point for me was in that first period, they had a chance to to build on their lead. They had a power play. Colorado was scuttling. They they couldn't find their footing. Yes, they were getting chances. Every shot was getting blocked. I think they had two or three shots at that point, maybe even two. In that penalty kill, they completely dominated. Tampa had one shot right away. Colorado was the was the more offensively dangerous team on that penalty kill. Like you said, they were pushing the play. I think it was right at the end of the first period. Dal- Darren Helm took the penalty for interference against Riley Nash. And it was Kale McCarr up the ice. It was Logan O'Connor up the ice. It was Darren Helm, like you said, Kyle Galeano. They were getting shots. They were pushing the pace. They were getting chances against Vasilevsky. And Tampa couldn't get over the line. They were getting stymied every time they tried to enter the zone. And I think whoever the analyst was, they said, this is this builds momentum. And Tampa Bay, for whatever reason... They need to switch up their power play. They need to switch up. It's it's very hard to do. They've been doing it the whole season long. They've they've had the same power play for the last five years. The same guys have been on the power play. Colorado knows how to defend them. They know what they're trying to do. They're trying to go Hedman to Kucherov, Kucherov to Stamkos. Those three guys, and they're 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 making that difficult for those three guys to get anything. They want them to work at low. Go to Plot. Go to Kalorn. Go to those guys guys down there. We're not worried about them, and they have to switch it up, or else they will inevitably lose. Game five, and it'll be over because they haven't adjusted. Whereas Colorado, their power play, it is so electric. Even the one they didn't get a goal, I'm just like, holy moly, they were in the zone for two straight minutes, and it was insane. Everybody on Tampa Bay was straight legging it. So I think, man, and I said it before the series, I was like, the power play won't be that you know, big of an impact. I stand corrected. Colorado's power play is the difference in this series. You had a stat. Everybody knew the stat. Five-on-five, five. Tampa Bay said the, set the NHL record. What was it, Tim, for for five-on-five five goals against or something? What was the record? You have it here written down. Cogliano's goal was the first at even strength the Lightning had allowed at home since game six of the first round. That was an NHL record, not allowing a five-on-five five goal on your barn for that long of a, of a time. And if you can't score five-on-five, five, you have to score some other way, and they're doing it on the power play. So this will be the reason why Colorado wins a series. Yes. They're pushing the pace. Yes. This and that the inability of Tampa Bay to score on the power play and just the domination of Colorado on the power play, even when they don't score, they still gain momentum. You're still putting Tampa Bay's penalty killers on the heels. You're, you're taking it to them the whole time. You're not trying to enter the zone. You're not trying to get a shot off here or there. And they're doing what I, what San Jose did back in the day. I, I touched on it. On another episode, they're shooting the puck. They get it. They win the draw. They win every draw, by the way. They win the draw. It goes to McCarr. It goes to McKinnon. It goes back to McCarr. He's shooting it. It goes to McKinnon. He's shooting it. You're breaking down the defense. And you're tiring out Anthony Sorelli. You're tiring out Nick Paul. You're tiring out McDonough, Sergachev, Hedman, Kalorn. These guys are key guys for your team. And you're just gassing them because they're chasing the puck for two straight minutes. And then they have to go out there and chase again because they're one of your top kill lines, Sorelli and Paul, and Kaloran. you want him to score. You want McDonough to play 30 minutes. You want Hedman to get up in the rush. And yes, they only had luckily to kill two penalties yesterday, but in other games they don't. So this is the biggest factor to me in the series so far. Yes, Colorado's dominating. Yes, Vasilevsky's playing well. It's the special teams that is going to win it for Colorado. That's don't you think. Or am I just overstating it a little bit?
1: No. And like you said, we didn't, we kind of thought that this would even out, but it's been a story so far. And then let's, let's talk about the big elephant from last night's game, you know, the overtime goal, which it's probably the biggest storyline anyway, the overtime goal, but it's more controversial than that. So it's being talked about for different reasons other than just being the game
0: winning goal. What did you think of it? If John Cooper doesn't whine on the press conference and walk out, No one's even worrying about this because no one noticed it because it wasn't a thing. It's a normal change. Kadri jumps on. He's excited. McKinnon's coming back to the bench. Yes, it's, it's exceeding the, the five feet. I get that. Watch any game. It happens every shift, any game, anytime, any situation. It happens every single shift. You watch that game. Tampa Bay does it all the time. Colorado does it all the time. I'm sure it's happened on goals many, many times. Cooper saw it. He wants to whine about something. He wants to shift the distraction away from how they got absolutely just dominated in the overtime period where they gave up two breakaways. Colorado hit two posts. He's like, well, they had too many men on the ice. No, they didn't. No, it's fine. It's, it's a fine change. I, I have no problem with it. The refs weren't calling anything anyways. They let the teams play in the third period. There were many times where there should have been penalties, but they let them go. Both teams got away with stuff. You're not going to call that penalty in overtime. Colorado was the better team. If they want to call that, if Tampa Bay is whining and they want to call the game tighter, fine. Guess what? The refs will call penalties. Each team will get six or seven power plays a game. And then what's going to happen? You're going to get just pumped because your power plays garbage and Colorado's got a fantastic power play. So pick your poise and you can whine to the refs. Guess what? Game five. They're going to call everything by the book every hook, every slash, every late hit, every time there might be too many men on the ice, there's going to be an arm going up. You're going to get five power plays. Colorado's going to get five power plays. Guess who's going to win? We'll see. I had no problem with the change. None whatsoever. It didn't, I don't know. Maybe it impacted. Maybe Caudry doesn't get in that position. If he doesn't get on the ice that early, who knows? I don't know. I had no issue with it. it. It's, it happens every single play. You probably have an issue with it. You didn't like, it. you don't like fun.
1: Uh, it's just it, it was pretty egregious John there was there was one clip that showed McKinnon not even clips. in the frame I saw the clips it's, it's not it's like way more than five feet it's probably 20-25 feet and it was probably five or six seconds of, of them having six guys on the ice like I know that it's flexible I know you kind of get the benefit of a doubt when guys hop on guys come off and it's really only called it if it's egregious but if this isn't egregious I don't know what is it's like a, a very, very obvious too many men in the ice in an overtime goal in the Stanley Cup finals. If you're not playing by the rules, you're not calling according to the NHL rules, what are we doing here?
0: We're playing in the NHL playoffs in a very crucial time in overtime, Stanley Cup playoffs, and the ref's not going to raise his hand because maybe there was a two-second gap there. The ref will never make that call. It's well, just It's never going to happen.
1: But you agree that it, I mean, it was it was too many men on the ice.
0: I agree. It shouldn't that, have been yeah. called,
1: but okay.
0: And yeah. does does
1: Kadri score that goal if he doesn't hop off five seconds early?
0: No, no, no. So, but it's not a penalty. Uh, okay. Well, here's the thing: you either call it or you don't. And they hadn't called it all game. And it, they both teams had been doing it all game. They'd be doing it all series. So all of a sudden, you can't just pick a point where you want it to be called if you're John Cooper and just ignore the previous four games of that being allowed. You know what I mean? So you can't just all of a sudden, no, 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 no. Now it's a penalty. Now it's a penalty because something bad happened for me. But all the other times, no. But now it is. You can't do that. This, the, you, you you have to play the card you're dealt, and the refs were not calling it. They were letting him play last night. It was a great physical game. Yes, there were calls that should have been made on both sides. Guys getting hit from behind, guys getting hooked. In the first period, Landeskog takes down Hedman. I'm like, that's a penalty. Or that was a third period. I'm like, that that is an egregious penalty. Should have been, a, should have been called, but it wasn't. And then Tampa Bay goes and does something to Colorado, and it went back and forth. They weren't calling the games. Only four penalties were called. So I, yes, it's a penalty by the book. If you go look at the the definition, yes, it's a penalty. They put the whistles away after the second period, midway through the second, after Stamkos took that penalty, the refs probably got together. They said, okay, we gave two to Tampa Bay. We gave two to Colorado. That's it. Let's just let them play. And they did the rest of the way through no penalties in the third, no penalties in overtime. Everybody was changing like that say Levy, what are you going to do you, you eat your, you take it like a man you take it on a chin and you move on your way but john cooper didn't do that i usually respect john cooper and his his post game comments he he sounded weird he almost was resigned to losing the series he was like you know we've won two stanley cups we've had a great run and this and that i'm like oh boy you've really just folded you are just done with this series all of a sudden and then he's like well you guys look at the tape you'll see get over it man you lost you lost
1: I was was reading about it this morning and NHL hockey operations meets with the referees and the linesmen after every game and they issued a statement about this. I'm just going to read it here. A too many men on the ice penalty is a judgment call that can be made by any of the four on-ice officials. Following the game, hockey operations met with four officials as is their normal protocol. In discussing the winning goal, each of the four officials advised that they did not see a too many men on the ice situation on the play. The call is not subject to video review by either hockey ops or the on-ice officials. Obviously, the play stood. I can see Lightning fans being upset, but we move on to game five now.
0: Boom. Suck it. That's That's exactly right. I can see why you're upset because you lost the game, but it's not a penalty. And if you want it to be called a penalty, oh, we'll call it next game. You want that, John Cooper? You be you be very careful with your words because we'll have a timer on the bench. Our linesman will sit there. We'll put a box around that little bench and we'll call every stinking one. And we'll see how much you like it when you're down a man for half the game. And Colorado's got those just insanely skilled players just flying around your zone. Okay, then maybe you won't want to call it a penalty. But for now, just keep your mouth shut because you need to focus on being a better team. You need to focus on figuring out how to stop Colorado. The wave after wave after wave after wave. You need to put a B in Kucherov's bonnet. He didn't look good last night. He looked off. Stamkos, for his amount of shots that he blocked, didn't do much on the offensive end. Who do you think got the most shots for Tampa Bay? Shots on goal. A good gauge on how invested you are in the offensive zone, how effective you're being. Who do you think on Tampa Bay had the most shots? On, on the offensive end, who were their top three? I'll, I'll, I'll do that.
1: Uh, I would guess Stamkos. Okay. I would guess. I know Kalorn played a lot, so I'll guess him, and I will guess
0: uh, Sorelli. Well, yeah. Sorelli is number one with five. And then Nick Paul is number two with three and Kalorin is three. So you nailed it. Kucherov, not even there. Stamkos, not even there. All their top guys, not even there. Palat, not even there. If you want to win the Stanley Cup, your first line, Palat, Kucherov, Stamkos, they have to get more shots. You have to be more aggressive. You have to be a factor. When Tampa Bay, when Tampa Bay wins, that line is a factor. When Tampa Bay loses, that line is not a factor. We've seen it in this series already. They win game three. Who was their best line? Stamkos, Kucherov, Palat. They lose game four. I don't want to see these guys are invisible because Stamkos was blocking a heck of a lot of shots. They weren't effective. Their power play was inept. At five on five, they weren't great. They weren't bad. They were kind of just out there. You can't have that. Your leading shot getter cannot be your defenseman with seven. Seven, Hedman got. You have to get more shots from that first line, or else you have no chance of winning. Colorado, who do you think had the most shots on their team? Uh, McKinnon, Landis Gog, McCarr. Nashuskin, McKinnon, McCarr. Nashuskin's their leading goal scorer. McKinnon's their best player. McCarr's the Norris Trophy winner. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. That's why they're winning. Their best players are driving the play. They're throwing pucks on net. They're being aggressive. They're on their toes, and they're getting after it. Nathan McKinnon had a goal, went off his skate, and he was in the right place at the right time, firing everything he can at the net. That's the difference. Power play's strong. Their best players are just out there giving it. So Colorado, I, if they don't win it in game five, I'll be very, very surprised. Based on how this four-game series has gone so far, I'm surprised how lopsided the pace of play has gone. Colorado has been the better team in my eyes every single game. I even said it in game three. I'm like, I just, something doesn't sit right with me. Tampa doesn't look like they want to win or they can win. Colorado just looks better. And when I look good and I feel good, it's because I'm eating good. And I eat good because of DoorDash, Tim. Not a bad transition there. And you can look good, feel good, eat good too, and be a champion just like Colorado by using DoorDash and using our promo code GLOVESDD. If you're in Canada, GLOVESDDUS. If you're in the US of A, get 25% off. You get free delivery. You get a piping hot food or freezing cold ice cream. You can get ice cream. It's a summertime. Call them up. Hey, DoorDash, can you go to Dairy Queen and get me some ice cream? They'll do it. Might be a little bit more difficult depending on the heat and the 90-degree heat. I don't know how they're going to do it, but they'll do it. Get yourself some ice cream. Get yourself some lollipops. Have a great time. I don't care. DoorDash is fantastic. They'll do anything for you. And the good thing is you can get a little discount by using our promo codes, GlovesDD, if you're in Canada, oh, Canada, GlovesDDUS if you're in the U.S. of A. Game five, we'll get to that in a second. Some hockey news. The individual awards were awarded. The PHWA, the Professional Hockey Writers of America Voted on all the awards, the Hart, the James, the Calder, the Selkie, the Lady Bing, the Bill Masterson, the all-star team, the all-rookie team, all the PWHA, PHWA, President Frank Cervalli, friend of the show. What did you think of the awards, Tim? Pretty legit? You want to go down who won, who lost? Any any surprises there?
1: Um, I think the, the surprise and maybe the most controversial one was the big one, the Hart, the MVP. Um, Matthews won that over McDavid and Sisterkin, with the other two nominated. I don't have a problem with it. I was talking about this yesterday. Um, I think McDavid's going to be nominated every season that he's healthy. He's going to, if not number one in points, he's going to be second to maybe a dry sidle. You know what I mean? So he's going to be nominated every year. So I think anytime they have a chance where they can pick a winner over him with a really good case to be made, they will. And Matthew scoring that many goals, I think it just makes sense. So I'm okay with him winning. Um, and then the rest of them, Norris, uh, Kale McCarr, no surprise. Vezina, Shesterkin, again, I don't think that's a really surprise. Calder, Cider, um, most Cider friend of the show. That was one that people thought maybe, well, you got Zegers, you got Bunting, you got uh, Raymond from Detroit, but I think Cider was far and away the best candidate there. Jack Adams, Daryl Sutter with Calgary, and the Selkie Bergeron. Which calm is down, calm
0: down, calm down, Tim, you're getting excited. Bertrand.
1: <laughs> Bertrand. Patrice. Uh, yeah, I think this is sixth, which is the most ever. Um, I think they nailed all six of these major awards. Ugh. I think I, I agree with all of them. So I And I usually don't. I usually have something to say about this, but I think they got them all right.
0: What about you? You don't? I think they blew three of them. Not okay. blew it, because all these players... The heart. Okay. Here's where McKinnon has an issue. And I don't know if the same thing happened to Gretzky, where you expect... McDavid. McDavid, excuse me. This is where McDavid gets kind of – people compare him to previous seasons of himself. And so he has to live up to those standards. So the same thing happened to Gretzky. He's like, well, you got 200 points last year. Why aren't you getting 200 points this year? Maybe you're not, you know, the MVP. McDavid is the best player in the NHL. He said, proves it every single night. He accounted for 45% of his team's offense. Without McDavid, Edmonton is a bad hockey team. With McDavid, they go to West, to the Western Conference Finals. With those three players, Shesterkin, McDavid, Matthews. I myself would have maybe had different players in the Hart Trophy nomination process in the top three, but with the three players that were given, I, my, my votes are McDavid, Shesterkin, and Matthews last. I think McDavid is more valuable to his team. Shesterkin is more valuable to his team. Matthews only accounted for 35% of the goals for Toronto Maple Leafs. I just think McDavid is being compared to himself, which shouldn't be the fact. You should compare him to all the players in that season, their impact on their team, how they look against every other player in the NHL. And when you just do that, I don't know how you cannot say McDavid isn't the best player in the league. I just don't know how you can say that. Yes, Matthew scored a lot of goals. So did Dreinsaitl. So did Kreider. Both those guys scored a heck of a lot of goals. Was anybody close to touching McDavid in points? Was anybody close to being as dynamic as he was throughout the season? Was anybody close to just anything that McDavid does? I don't think so. He's the best player, hands down. He got 12 more points than Jonathan Huberto, the next closest guy in Johnny Gaudreau. The fact that Austin Matthews was not even in the top five in total points and wins the MVP is wrong. It's wrong. He wins the MVP because he gets 60 goals and he plays for Toronto. You put Austin Matthews in Florida and he gets 60 goals. He does not win the MVP. It's wrong. He should not win this. It's almost like they said, well, it's your turn. Here, you can have it. You got 60 goals. Good for you. McDavid got 123 stinking points. Shosturkin played unbelievable this season. Led all the goalies and goals against. save percentage. Was right up there in shutouts. And he did it for a New York Rangers team that had no business being in that position. He willed them to where they got, and he did it in the playoffs too. So, you know, he's a proven player. Like he, and that, that one bothered me. Matthews should not have gotten the heart. It should have gone to McDavid or Shesterkin. Moving down, Norris, Kale McCart. Generational talent. Don't get me wrong. Nailed it. Had a great season. One of the best defensemen we'll probably ever see in all of hockey. Did he get the most points? No. Oh. But it was close, though. No, you know, Yossi had 10 more points than McCarty. And, and if we're doing this by, you know, the new thing for defensemen is points, right? That, that's, that's how we gauge a Norris defenseman winner, winner, or else we would have defenseman defenseman in the conversation. It's points. Yossi had 10 more points than did. I I don't understand the conversation here. The the issue why Makar won is because he's popular. People are like, oh, Mikhail McCarr, the sexy Camel McCarr show. Roman Yossi plays for Nashville, doesn't get a lot of media attention, never on the primetime games. Kail is. He is just the sexy toy that everybody wants to play with. Let's give him the Norris. Yossi should have won this trophy. Hands down. Makar should have became second in voting, but Yossi should have won it. It, it. I don't know. It, it's a popularity contest. It, it's exactly what it is. It's you haven't won it yet, Matthews. We think you should win it. You play for Toronto. Let's get it. McCar, you're great. You're going to be in the Stanley Cup Finals. I love the way you move. You're going to get my vote. Yossi was a better defenseman this year. like i don't know what else I don't know I, I don't know. I like Shosturkin. Mo Sider was the obvious choice. Coach The who cares. I really don't care about that. Selkie Selkie has turned into who gets more points and is a decent defensive forward. I know Bergeron's a good defensive forward. I know O'Reilly's a good defensive forward. John Cooper made a really interesting point when he said Anthony Sorelli should be winning the Selkie Award. He locks down every single guy, every single night, the top guys. He doesn't get many points, but he just wins games for us because he locks down the other guy's first, first line. He's done it in the playoffs. He's done it for the last two playoffs, and he gets no recognition. He almost got no votes in the whole process. Like he was, I don't think he was in the top four Bergeron wins because he's got the reputation. He's got the name and people talk about him all the time as being a good defensive forward. Same with O'Reilly, same with Kopitar. These guys are good defensive forwards. I'm not trying to throw them under the bus. They're fantastic. They're elite, 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 elite players. Bergeron definitely does the does deserve to win this award. But the fact that's like a player like Anthony Sorelli doesn't even get recognition. Maybe he gets someone who gives him a, a third place or fourth place vote. It, it just shows you the emphasis on offense. And the same goes for Matthews scoring goals and this and that. And Bergeron plays in Boston. What? You got your finger up. Here we go. What is it? Yeah, okay. Oh, I, I touched a nerve here. You don't serve. He underrated.
1: Underrated defensive forward. He should get more recognition. I agree. Is he a better defensive forward than Patrice Bergeron? Yes. No. Yeah. No. And let me add just let me At add this, this point,
0: yes, he is. At this point, yes, he is.
1: What, because he's still playing and Bergeron's team
0: got eliminated in the first round? No, because These... he's younger, he's faster, he's more, he's better. He's, he's better than he is right now. Bergeron as a whole in his whole career, much better than Sorelli. Sorelli's 24 years old and he just flies around. He blocks shots, he wins faceoffs, offs he hounds the other team's top line over and over and over again. Bergeron,
1: You're I believe, is more Bergeron. focused on,
0: on the offensive end a little more.
1: Uh, yeah, he is, and that shouldn't work against him. I remember a great quote from uh, Mario Lemieux when he was a younger player and asked why he didn't get any uh, – he was wanting more playing time. The coach was like, well, you don't really put, contribute much on the defensive side of the ice. And Lemieux said, well, every time I'm on the ice, I have the puck on my stick and we're in the offensive zone. We're not letting a, a lot of goals up when we're out there. So I think that I think that should work in my favor. And that that's kind of my point with Bergeron. It's like he's, he's the best, if not the best, top three defensively in the league right now, and – of all of those guys, he's the best offensive forward. Which means the pucks down that then that, in that, that end of the ice, he's scoring more. He's not letting up many goals. He's the best. He's the best defensive forward in the league. And he's, why does Marshawn
0: not get any votes then? Because he he's, he plays with Bergeron. But why though? He's just as good defensively. He's more dangerous on the penalty kill.
1: He's not. He's not as good defensively as Burst. No, he's very good. Well, I would say he's better. I would say
0: he's better than Sorelli too, though. Why does a guy like Huberdeau not get any votes, or a guy like McDavid or Matthews? Because you have to have both. You have to have both. I'm just not saying just, you're just using your logic with Lemieux. I'm
1: saying that that should be that should contribute to it. It's not enough to say you should win a Selkie just because you score a lot of points. But I'm saying that's that's a factor in and when you're out there and. I don't. I don't see Huberdeau or who else do you named Kucherov killing penalties, and Bergeron is. So anyway, I
0: you can't. I knew, argue. You, were gonna, I, I knew you were gonna even like that. the the, uh, the Frank J. Selke Award is awarded to the best defensive forward. It's not awarded gotcha. to the best defensive forward who scores a lot of points. I think, in the defensive zone, Anthony Sorelli. This past year was better than Patrice Bergeron. He was better than Barkov. He was better than Lindholm. He was better than um, Erickson Eck. He was better than Kopitar. He was better than O'Reilly. He was better than Jordan Stahl. All of these guys got more votes than Sorelli. He's better than all of them. That's my opinion. I, I agree with John Cooper on this. Bergeron is a proven name. He's been there, done that. Everybody knows him. Everybody loves him. He might retire this year. Bergeron got like every first place vote. Yeah, because he's the best.
1: You're, you're, no. You're on an island over there, John. You're by yourself. No, I'm with John Cooper.
0: Never heard of him? Okay. Me and Cooper, yeah. a little Love biased. No, so speaking of bias, listen to you. But I, I drew, there's, there's bias in the voting, where the people just go, okay, Bergeron, we want to. It's like in the Vesna, when, Mar, or who hadn't won one? Marty Brodeur or something. Patrick Wadden Turco. kept getting him.
1: Who won? It was Turco. He told, the, he told that story on our show. Remember? Right,
0: see? Yeah, Turco had the best stats, but they wanted to give it to somebody else, and they gave it to somebody Brodeur else. Rodor
1: hadn't won one yet. That's what yeah, it was.
0: So there you go. And and the same thing happens with the Frank J. Selke when it's just like, well, who's a good defensive forward? They do 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 no digging. And they go, well, Bergeron. He's all that, that's his thing. O'Reilly, that's, that's his that's not thing. true,
1: John. The stats the stats are all in Bergeron's favor. And
0: you can are they? I can I can
1: I'll send you an email. I'll send you an email do a little no, reading
0: for you. Put it on the show's website. I want I want to see. I want the people to know. If you break down the amount of time that Bergeron faces other teams' first lines and then compare it to Sorelli, then we can talk. I don't think Bergeron, every single game, the coach is going, okay, we need to match you up with the other team's first line. I don't think that's where their their heads at because he's such a good offensive player. Sorelli, Cooper, his sole job is to get him versus the other team's first line, and his sole job is to shut down that first line.
1: I think other coaches are specifically trying to get their top line away from Bergeron's line. So that's why 50% of the games are played on the road.
0: But mentality, I don't think Bergeron is going out there trying to shut down the other team's top line. He's going out there trying to score goals. And if the Frank J. Selke is a trophy for playing defense, and I get that, offense takes away defense how you play defense when you're in the offensive zone the best defense is a good offense i get that i'm just saying there's good defensive forwards out there and it's just always the same old guys it's like the old boys club what are they going to do when bergeron retires they're gonna have to just get rid of the award they should rename it to the bergeron award and then he should win it every year and not even play that's what i think all right what else we got tim we got some uh, quick hits or you, are new you, coaches. coaches? can you handle this? Are you going to be able to move on after I just <laughs> no, challenge? I, I got the better of
1: that argument. So I feel good. I, uh, um, I she did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Some new coaching jobs filled in uh, Paul Maurice is in Florida. This one was a bit of a surprise because Andrew Burnett was their interim coach. Um, he came in after Quenville kind of got implicated with the Blackhawks stuff and they uh, seven games into the season. So, you know, um, Brunette was there for most of the year and he was nominated for the Jack Adams. So this is like a really good coach. And I guess a small sample size, um, but they don't bring him back officially. He, he might stay on the team and with the organization in a different role. And I think he probably will. Uh, but Paul Maurice is brought in. I think this is probably just a case of like, Hey, Brunette, like we love you. But when there's a, a, a coach of Maurice's background and pedigree available, we got
0: to go out and get him. Do you think that's what happened here? What's Maurice's pedigree? Guy hasn't won a thing. He's coached a lot. He hasn't won anything. Anything ever. He made it to the Eastern Conference Championships once with Carolina. Other than that, he never makes the playoffs. Coached Hartford, like coached Carolina, coached Toronto for a cup of coffee. Went to Winnipeg, took a Stanley Cup contender that was earmarked for a Stanley Cup. Didn't do anything. I don't, I like Paul Maurice. I like the way he gives press conferences. I like I like his mannerisms. I like the way he talks. He's got a very deep, soothing voice. He doesn't say too much, but he says just enough to keep you interested. Always losing in the first round with Winnipeg. Made it to the second round once. Made it to the third round once. He's coached a lot of games. 1,685. 1, He's only won 775 of them. He's like a 500 coach. I don't get this hiring. I don't get this hiring at all. Andrew Burnett, in the mix for Jack Adams, one of the finalists and you give it to Paul Maurice because he's been around the block a few times. I don't, I don't like this hiring at all. I think it's a bad hiring. Florida's got a really good team. Paul Maurice has done nothing in my eyes to instill confidence in me that he can go to a team and turn it around and just get them over the top. Is he better than Joel Quinville? Better coach? No, no. What, what are we doing here? What are we doing? Uh, The definition of the old boys club are these two hires, Paul Maurice and Pete DeBoer. I don't like it. It's a a bad decision in Florida. It's a bad decision. You either keep Andrew Burnett, who did well. He got you into the playoffs, won the President's Trophy. You ran into Tampa Bay. You flamed out. Something went wrong. Give him another shot or just try something new. Everybody knows Paul Maurice. They know what he's going to do. He's going to ruin your team. Anyways, moving on. Do you like the hiring?
1: Uh, I was, no, I was surprised by it. Uh, I, I don't know. I like to see the different guys. Like you said, it's an old boys club and, and Brunette did nothing but succeed for you. I guess, like you said, he you run into a juggernaut in the playoffs and you don't want to lay an egg like that, but that's, that's a solvable problem. It's a lot harder to have be a successful coach over the course of a full season. And I think Brunette earned a shot there. So I, I wonder, they said the report said that he'll probably stay with the organization and, you know, maybe he opens up for a coaching role down the future or someone else like what they saw, and they want to make him an offer. I don't know that if they have to go through the team to get permission to talk to him yet or if he's like completely free to do what he wants. But
0: I don't know what his contract status is. But if I'm Paul Maurice and I'm coming in to coach this team, do I really want Andrew Burnett being an assistant coach? Do I want the guy who led him to a president's trophy and who should rightfully be the coach sitting right beside me, just ready to cut my throat the first chance he can so he can be the head coach again? I don't think so. Bruno's not going to want to do that. He's going to want to go somewhere else. It's a a bad decision. All right, Dallas Stars. They got a new coach, too. It's it's a coach we've never heard before. It's a coach who's going to come in and with fresh ideas. Oh, wait, no, it's Pete DeBoer. Pete DeBoer is going to go into Dallas. He's going to just do the same old shtick. Pete's a great coach, and I don't know why I'm so fired up. He's going to go to Dallas. He's going to say, let's – Let's check and skate hard and you know we're going to we're going to outwork teams. It's the same thing Tortorella does. These are all like clones of each other. Whatever. Pete the Suck it. Go to Dallas and suck. Great. What, I don't know. I don't know what what do you want me to say?
1: I have nothing to add to that. No. That's, that was good.
0: <laughs> all right, what else? One more little bit of news. A former Paul Maurice player, former captain of his added to the trade targets list team. What is going on in Winnipeg? shifley's name has been thrown out there now blake wheeler's added to the, the trade targets he's got two more seasons at 8.25 what are they trying to do in winnipeg what is kevin shovel dayoff trying to do there
1: i don't know i think they're trying to get out of that no man's land where you're not good enough to make a playoff not bad enough a tank for something i think they are trying to get out of that and hopefully, you know, retool over the course of a couple of years. Blake, Wheel has got two more years, like you said, eight, eight and a quarter is pretty expensive, but as Frank made a point in his article, it's like, He's the kind of piece that you that you make that sacrifice for. He's the kind of piece that you offload a contract or, or give something up to get him. The way that he plays the game, he's big, he's strong, he's a leader. He blocks shots. He drops the mitts when he has to. He can score. He can play in all situations. He can play in all positions. He's just he's a very talented guy and he's a good locker room guy. I think he's the one that if he does become available, he'll he'll get a good you know a good return for them, and he makes any any team better. I can see like Florida going after him. I don't know what their cap situation. I don't have that in front of me, but he'll make any team better. And he probably wants to go and get a chance at winning
0: a cup too. Yeah. I like Blake Wheeler. He's a fleet footed six foot five, just rips up and down the ice. And if he went to a team where he had the chance to win a Stanley cup, I think he'd be even better. He's a point per game guy. I I like him. Florida doesn't really have, they got 3 million to spend their cap space. Isn't really there, but GMs make it work. When a player of this caliber comes on the market and they want to win, they, they make it happen. So I, he's a Minnesota guy. He uh, skates there in the summer. I know Blake Wheeler. I skated with him for many years. Spends his summer in Winnipeg. Goes there in the off season. I, I don't know. Minnesota Wild. They, they have like no cap space. But Billy Garrett could make it work. I don't know. If you're Blake Wheeler, and I know I'm throwing this at you right at the last second, if there, where would you want to go? Just say Tampa Bay comes knocking, just say Florida comes knocking, just say Minnesota comes knocking, Toronto Maple Leafs kicks the tires, a Washington Capitals team all of a sudden has a has a little bit of cap space with a potential injury to Nicholas Backstrom. Where do you go? Would you go to Washington and kind of try to get the last drop of goodies from Alex Ovechkin? Or do you go to a team like the New York Rangers who got a lot of cap space? Well, where do you go, Tim? <laughs>
1: Uh, that's a tough question. Not Washington. they just not, I think a year or two ago, that would have been a good fit. Um, Carolina, maybe. I think the New York Rangers, maybe. Just Those because two?
0: you live in the state of Carolina, you can't just use them for all the answers.
1: What's the state of Carolina? There's two of them. I know um, both of them, North minutes, and South. Or how about, how about St. Louis? That would be a great fit. He would do so well there. I don't know what their cap situation is either, but that's, I'm going to keep an eye on the summer for sure.
0: I agree. He'll be a if he's on the market and they're shopping him. <sighs> I think you you got it right. You you move mountains to get that guy. He would be the number one trade target for me if he's available. Well, and Chicktron. you got to like those two guys are primo guys. Yes, Wheeler's thirty five, but I, he's still got some tread on the tires. Man, he's a good player. If you can get two years out of him. Phew, you do it. You do it fast.
1: Frank Frank had him third on the list behind the and Kevin Fiala, which I thought was interesting. I can see the Brinkett being number one just because of his age and his goal scoring. Uh, but I can't see I can't see Fiala ahead of anybody else on that list. Well,
0: it's just uh, it, it depends on how you value the player and the impact time term wise. Remember last year at the trade deadline, it's like who do we value more? Is it Thomas Hurdle or is it Joe Pavelski? I value Joe Pavelski more because I think in a one-year short window, he's the more bigger impact. If, if you're going to judge just signing on five years, obviously, to bring it and Fiela have more value. If it's a one- or two-year value and you're just doing a short window, Wheeler by far. He goes in. He changes the team. He could be your captain if you want him to be. The guy is just – he does he does everything good. He doesn't interview. He doesn't He doesn't take the easy way out like John Cooper. Well, you watch the tape. It wasn't our fault. It wasn't our fault. Not our fault. Their fault. Not my fault. We're good. We're good. We're the best. We're goes. We sucked. It was my fault. I'm the captain. I need to be better. I will take this one on the, on the chin. I love that. I love that about him. Wherever, whatever team he goes to, Stanley Cup contender. Even if he goes to An- An- the Arizona Coyotes. Back to the team he got drafted by. Fifth overall. Oh, imagine that. Imagine that curveball. Play Play in front Ugh. of 40, 40 fans at a 5,000 uh, seat arena. and they're all students who got free tickets because no one's going to want to go there. Very exciting times in Arizona. Ooh, they're looking to build a new arena. They're projecting 2045 for the new arena. So stupid down there. Man, Arizona. what a more let's not even go there. Why did you bring me to this this spot, Tim? All right, points bet. Stanley Cup could be awarded tomorrow. We're going back to Colorado. Tampa Bay backs against the wall, as PK Subban would say. They need to win this game. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't. Want to both teams here. really want this one. <laughs> yeah. If Vasilevsky gets a shutout, there's a good chance they're going to win. Um, yeah. Who do you got, Tim? Points bet the fans. At Vegas is listening, and they want to know where should we put our money. You're gonna you're gonna move the needle here, Tim. What's going on here? Where am I putting my 401k savings?
1: Yeah, I'm betting on the Aves to close this out. I really am. They're just so good, and I think winning at home, Tampa hasn't shown me enough to say that they're going to put up a fight here. So
0: I think I think Tampa uh, Aves close this out in five. Wow, you're just resigning your Stanley Cup pick to another L, which would bring your whole Stanley Cup finals. I think you're. Let me see what you are right now. You Did are I pick Tampa. Yes, one? you did. You're eight and six remember. overall. This should bring you to eight and seven. Not a good record. Not a good
1: record. winning record. Winning record. Barely. Barely. Record Paul, barely Paul
0: Maurice. If you want to, you know, be pa- buddies and paired up with Paul Maurice, I'll be the John Coopers of the world, winning Stanley Cups. But I did take I the abs. Paul. Paul and I would be great friends. I would like to hang out with him. That's not a good thing to Maybe say. Maybe he'll want to start a podcast with me. Yeah. Good luck. The seventh best podcast in Winnipeg. Tim and Paul. <laughs> I am going to take Tampa Bay. I think they will bounce back. They need to get a power play goal. They need to figure that out. If they can get one power play goal, they will win this game. I think they will. The only issue, there's so many injuries on Tampa Bay. There are so many injuries. Nick Paul looked labored. Kucherov didn't look himself. Points out of the game. Sorelli takes a skate to the arm. Who knows what he's doing? They don't look like they're healthy. I think they overcome all of this. Chernak, if he's gonna play, I don't know. He only played seven minutes. All of those things aside, Vasilevsky looked really good. He looks strong. I think he comes out and he wins game five for the Tampa Bay Lightning. They go back and game six, and it's a whole new, whole new ball of wax, and we can just talk about this more. That's what we gotta do. All right. I'm taking Tampa Bay. You're taking Colorado. We'll talk to everybody when, Tim, next week. Yeah, next week. Next week. We'll have two opportunities for uh The Stanley Cup Parade by the time we talk to everybody. But anyways, have a good weekend. Go watch Hummingbirds. Talk to you later. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.